Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. We'd love to meet you, so come visit us on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. or 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Now, Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, you can support the work at Beacon by selecting the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. And a small portion of every purchase will help move our work forward. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select the Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. So, a little while back, this became uh, my new best friend. And uh, the way we, I got there was, you know, I, I had been, of course, using deodorant and antiperspirant ever since, like, puberty, right? I think that's when hopefully most of us start uh, minimally. And, um, and uh, I know this is some of you are like, please don't talk anymore about what you're saying. This is already <laughs> making me uncomfortable. But you need to kind of go through, we got to go through this awkward thing. Anyway, so, uh, but somewhere along the line, a few, a uh, number of years ago now, I guess I was starting to read some articles and I was getting like some kind of things in my head about like, you know, aluminum in these antiperspirants and how they might be collecting in the brain and like causing early onset Alzheimer. I don't know what they're, I don't even know, I don't even know where I read these things, but all of a sudden I was getting kind of nervous about it and I thought, you know, I've never really reevaluated this. I, I don't stink anymore. And so I, I don't know that I even, I could just take this whole thing out of my personal hygiene regimen to like just, just drop the whole thing, which I did uh, for uh, uh, really uh, some time, actually, a number of, of months, maybe even a little longer than that. And uh, then one day, uh, Trevor and I were loading some things up into the attic at East Williston, and we were working pretty closely together. And, uh, you know, it's got the whole, like, arms up in the air and things going and pushing, and, and you were right next to each other. And finally, he says, man, you stink. <laughs> and I was like, well, I mean, maybe because we're working a little bit. And he's like, no, man, you really stink. And I'm like, I mean, I mean, but stink, but like not, not like bad, like I have my own aroma. I mean, everyone does. And he's like, no, no, it's, it's making my eyes burn. <laughs> I was like, all right. So I went out immediately and picked up some uh, deodorant and I'm hoping uh, that it is still working. Um, and so after the first service, I had a whole lot of you sniff me. It's unnecessary. You don't need to do that. It's awkward for all of us. Uh, but if you feel compelled to, you certainly f are fine with it. Anyway, so, and I'm hoping that even as I'm talking about this, some of you are like, just please stop talking about it because it's making me uncomfortable. I don't even like this kind of a conversation. I hope some of you are empathetic enough that you could actually be saying, you know, I, I feel pain for his embarrassment. Like, you know, I, I hope that you have that, that sort of empathetic thing. I actually went back and forth even to whether or not I should share it because some of you are going to be like, does he think it's working? You know, or like maybe like there might be other, like open up other problems or conversation. But, you know, here's the thing. There are lots of ways that we stink up the place. That's just one tiny little way, not even the most significant way that we might stink up the place. And, you know, there are all sorts of beautiful stories, and I love getting these stories. Some of you guys send me these things. They're all warm and 
you know, kind of fuzzy kind of stories about like, you know, how somebody lost a puppy in town and, and you found the puppy and then so you made signs with the puppy and you posted it all over the, the town and eventually you reunited the family and there was like joy and tears and it's like such a, a sweet story and I love those kinds of things, you know, the neighbor who who uh, just moved into the neighborhood, he sees, you know, an elderly neighbor, it's a big snowstorm, and they get out there, and they shovel it for them, and you hear all of these warm-hearted kinds of stories, and I just love them, and I hope that we hear lots more of them, and, and I hope that you're at the center of those stories, because you're out there doing all of this great stuff, and I think that's fantastic, but I, I often wonder about the other types of stories, like where are the stories where, you know, someone is stinking up the place, and the friend comes along and says, hey, dude, you stink. Like, where are those stories? Because, you know, we need that just as much as everything else. In fact, perhaps even more. Where are the stories about friends who are telling friends the hard truth? Because we need it. I mean, you know, you've got that friend. They're being a jerk. Who comes alongside and says, hey, man, you know, you're, you're kind of like stomping on everybody's feelings here. Like, you know, you need to know that. I mean, I think every single person is going to know that particularly self-centered person who you watch as their friends start to pull away from them because they're so self-centered. But nobody, they can't see it. They're self-centered. It's part of the malady. But no one is willing to come alongside and say, hey, man, you know, like, you're losing friends over this. We need to deal with it. And if you're thinking, I don't know a single person like that, Just, just saying. Like, who is going to be there for them? You know, what about the stories of friends who are spilling their guts to a friend? Because they know that if they don't, that if they don't get it out in the open, that they're never going to come back from the brink. I mean, where are the stories of that relationship that was so significant and so meaningful That when you are wrestling with your doubts, you know that you can talk to them and that they can help bring you back to the place that you want to be at. Or instead, when you think about that, when you think about your own problems and your own doubts and the struggles that you're having, or do you think, wait, if I ever did that, I know what there would be. I know that there would be there would be judgment and I know there would be embarrassment and I know that, you know, that my friends would be shocked and they would be disappointed in me. And you know what that does is it causes us to put, we pull back instead. Rather than pressing into it, we go, oh, man, I don't want to disappoint. I don't want them to be shocked. I don't want them to, 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 be, you know, to look at who I really am and suddenly start to withdraw from me. And so we instead withdraw. We go into hiding. You know, but when you start to feel sin wrapping its tentacles around your heart and you feel that pressure, you feel like, like you've got the people that you could actually go and talk to, or you say, no, no, I've got to keep up the facade. I think lots of us have experienced this from both sides even. I just can't let anyone really see what's going on. The next three messages of our uncomfortable series Uh, They're going to go after these ideas, the need for accountability, the power of vulnerability, the difficulty of confrontation, all kinds of kinds of things related to this. And I know this is when Christian community really starts getting particularly uncomfortable. But I also know that this is when Christian community starts actually becoming Christian community.
This is what we need. So we want to jump right in. The problem, it starts with our sin-inclined hearts. So open, if you would, in the Bible to Hebrews chapter 3. Leave it open uh, with you there because we're going to go in and out of the text for the remainder of the message. Uh, we'll just kind of be popping in, reading some things, applying them, uh, trying to understand them just a little bit better. So just kind of leave it open and uh, we will uh, be in and out of it. So this idea that, that we have our, our sin-inclined hearts, uh, it's found throughout the scriptures in that, they will, that our hearts will readily deceive us. And it causes us to start to turn away from God. And so kind of this picture, this metaphor, it's painted throughout the scriptures. Like you're kind of on this path and it's hard and it's a little dark. It's a little bit murky. And if we're not vigilant in staying on the path, we will very quickly find ourselves in a on a different path. And that path will lead to places that we don't want to go. And that if we are not careful, we will continually meander from God's best path for us. That's kind of the picture. And we see it here again in Hebrews chapter 3, starting in verse 12. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Now, we gotta, he, he's going to kind of give us some pictures here historically that we want to get a little bit of background of. You've got to go back to the days of uh, the Ten Commandments. And so some of you have seen the movie, so you know exactly what happens. Others have actually read uh, the scriptures, which is great as well, because uh, you'll, you'll know some of these stories, maybe even from like old Sunday school days when you were growing up. But the Israelites were leaving Egypt. They had been slaves in Egypt, and as they were exodusing from there, they were leaving there, God did all of these incredible things. He had just, he blessed them incredibly. He protected them. He brought plagues down upon their enemies. He opened up the Red Sea. He fed them with miraculous bread from heaven and water from rocks. It was like this incredible uh, experience of God's great power. And all of this happened on their way to the promised land, the land where they would be safe where God said they would be secure if they continued in his way. And, and the promised land actually became a metaphor, not just for their promised land, but for all of the promised lands, the places that we all hope to be when God and us are finally reconciled. That's our promised land as well. Now, they had seen all of these incredible miracles, and yet they did not believe. They did not trust. And not only did they refuse to trust that God would actually bring them into the promised land, but they actually continued to live any way they wanted to, even though God had done all of these incredible things for them. So they continued to make decisions and continue to sin no matter what God had actually said or done. So look at verse 18, chapter 3, verse 18. So to whom did God swear that they would never enter his rest if not to those who disobeyed? So it was that whole generation he's talking about. He swore that they would never enter his rest because they had disobeyed. So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief. So he takes these two ideas, their unbelief and them disobeying. And he goes, listen, you, 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 you've seen everything that you needed to see. You could have trusted me, but you have refused to trust me. Sin has pulled you away. Then he goes on to explain in chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. And this is really curious because now he's saying, listen, the promise of his rest still stands. It, it never got resolved or finished. 
it actually still applies for you and for me. The promise of his rest still is active today, which means the same risks of unbelief and of disobedience are there with us. So if we want to kind of summarize this, and you got to remember this message right at the beginning in verse 12, he says, this is to the brothers and sisters. That's that word Adelphoi that we had spoken about the last couple of weeks. He's saying this to my, to my Christian family, to my brothers and sisters in Christ, this is a contemporary message for you, and, and, and it's for us today as well. It still applies for us today. And really, there are two types of rebellion to look at. There are sinful attitudes toward God. And I want to just kind of describe this as really just the lack of trust that happens in the human heart. It's a lack of trust that says, God really will not save us. He really won't bring us into this promised land of rest. And we just move away and we reject his promises. And we think, no, man, I got to earn it. I've got to do better. This is on me. I got to figure it out. God isn't actually going to deliver on his promises. This is a sinful attitude toward God, and we can call it unbelief. Then there are sinful actions toward others. And you could think of this as really just the behaviors that God forbids because they are hurting us or hurting other people. God says those things are sin, those are sinful actions, and it's another type of rebellion that our hearts meander into. Now, these sin-inclined hearts of ours cause us to miss out on God's rest. And if you kind of go through the chapter here, uh, you'll see really a couple of types of rest. I'm going to call one capital R rest and the other one lowercase r. It's not really the way it's structured in the text, but you'll still get uh, the same idea out of it. The idea between these, this kind of rest is that you take those sinful attitudes toward God and you replace it with capital R rest. And what I mean by that is the final rest for your soul. See, every single person needs to know that we are not going to suffer the consequences of our sin, though we deserve it. That we are promised eternal life with Jesus for all of time. And the way we do that is through trusting that he will bring us to the promised land. Not that we're going to earn it, not that we're going to figure out our own way, not that we're going to outsmart the system or game it or anything like that, but that we're going to trust. Jesus said he will bring us into his rest, and, if he, and he says, if you believe in me, if you trust in me, I will bring you into my eternal rest. Rest with a capital R. But then there's another type of rest and that has to do with our sinful actions toward others being replaced with rest or with peace or shalom, wholeness. And that's the idea that says, listen, if we've got all of this turmoil and we have all of these, this, these sin issues and all of our sin-inclined hearts pulling us away from God and each other, then we go at each other and there is no peace. How can we have genuine rest in this life if we're constantly throwing our garbage into our relationships? And so he says, no, let's get rid of those sinful actions toward others, and we will replace it with lives that are marked with God's rest. Now, this, uh, this is, you can go back, read chapter 3 to kind of unpack more of these. I can't do much more on it this morning because i got to cover some other things here, or I want to cover some other things. So how do we combat this sin inclination so that we can secure the promised rest? Well, he goes on to tell us. We have to seek account encouragement 
through accountability. Seek encouragement through accountability. And this is an important part because we want to, to, to tap into the Adelphoi, the brothers and sisters that he's referencing, the spiritual family, our tribe, and we need to seek encouragement from each other in order to help our sin-inclined hearts stay on the straight and narrow. So look at verse 13, chapter 3, verse 13. He says, but encourage one another daily, as long as it is called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. See, there's that sin inclination piece. And he's saying, no, you need to encourage each other and do it every day. Do it all the time. In a later chapter, Hebrews 10, he actually takes the same idea and develops it with more language. He says, let us consider how we may spur one another on. This idea of spur one another on, a very strong uh, word in the original. It kind of means to provoke someone. Like if you had provoked a fight, you would use this same word. He's saying spur one another on toward love and good deeds not giving up meeting together. So he's saying you can't pull out a community. You need your brothers and sisters. You need the Adelphoi. Don't give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And even his emphasis here on encouragement is important because for us, you know, encouragement can mean all sorts of things. I can come up to you and say, you know, you really are just a, just a beautiful person. You're, you're handsome, and you are thoughtful, and we wish the best for you, and, you know, God's blessings on your life. And you might walk away from that encouraged. You might say, oh, that was really sweet. I might say, I love, you know, your, you know, your style. You know, you, you, you're such a fashion person, and I love the way you can match clothes. I can't do that. My wife does that for me. And you might be encouraged by that, and that's a type of encouragement, and that's a great thing, and it's sweet, and... But the word here tends toward this idea of exhorting, which is a stronger, more aggressive posture. This isn't, you know, couple that with the spurring one another. He's saying, listen, man, we got to get into it. We got to make certain that those who are no longer moving in the direction that God wants them to, that is best for them, you got to come alongside and get them moving, get it going. You're going to exhort them toward love and good deeds. You're going to encourage them. You know, how many relationships do you have in your life where you feel like there are, there are folks who, will, who know you so well that they'll come alongside on a regular basis and call the best out of you? That they'll be willing to tell you you're stinking up the place and they'll be willing to tell you that, that there's more for you, that, that, that God has greater plans and that there are ways for you to achieve those. And that and out of, as a result of having had that conversation, that you are more likely to do more loving and good deeds in this world. How many have those kinds of friendships? And he's saying, listen, this should be a normal part of our family experience together. He talks about it being daily, frequently. Don't give up. I, I, uh, I had read somewhere that, you know, people talk about uh, accountability. I think this is an interesting part of accountability here, this daily, ongoing, kind of frequently part of it. Because I, I'd read somewhere that we often treat uh, go, like accountability with each other sort of like we treat going to the dentist. All right? So you think of accountability like you're going to the dentist. <laughs> all right? And so what do you do? So when do you go to the dentist? You go to the dentist when you have to, right? When you absolutely 
must. You go to the dentist when something hurts. And you go as infrequently as you possibly can. Because, I, you know, there, I think most people in the world would say, I mean, I am the kind of a person who goes to the dentist when I have to go to the dentist. Do we have any, I have to go to the dentist, so I will go people here? Or do you guys just go for fun? <laughs> right, right? No, like, you know, you don't go for fun. Weird people go to the dentist for fun. Are there any weird people who go to the dentist for fun? I mean... So my wife is actually one. She, she goes and she's like, oh, it's so nice. It's so relaxing. I'm like, they have drills in your mouth. Needles. How this is, you go and, you know, we treat accountability this way. We're like, listen, when it really hurts, when I've got a really serious problem in my soul, when my life is falling apart, when my marriage is about to collapse, then I'll go get some accountability. That's how we treat it. You know, I'm like, all right, well, then I'll make sure somebody can get in there with a drill and I'll go once a year if it really hurts. That's it. But I don't think that's the idea here. If you've got this idea, this, this idea of it being frequent and it being daily, then I think it's, it's not like going to the dentist for, you know, root canal. I think it's like brushing your teeth. I think that's how regularly that we should be considering accountability a part of our lives. I mean... How many people would say, I, will, I refuse to brush my teeth every day? I hope, no, no, it, it, listen, if, you're, if you refuse, then I want to exhort you to change that. I think you should, one, one time a day, minimum, two, let's shoot for two. That's a good plan. You want three? Awesome, more power to us. I think that's even better. But instead of having reluctance and hesitation when it comes to accountability, what if it was more like every day. It was more like brushing our teeth. It was more like yielding yourself to others on an ongoing, regular basis so that they'll know the struggles that you're going through now, each day. See, we've got to seek accountability. And in order to do it daily, we need to have proximity for at least some portion of our accountability it has to be with the people who see us and know us and experience us every day because they're the only ones who are really going to see the cracks. And they're the only ones who are going to know not just your sins that you commit, but the sins that you omit. There are, they're, they're the people who are going to be able to call you into something way more spectacular because they really do know and they really do love you. So what do you look for in this relationship? Well, it starts off with the Word of God, and this is key. This can't simply be about good advice or kind of like giving someone a, an encouragement or anything like that. This isn't like Oprahisms or anything like that, right? We're talking about dealing with real sin issues. And in order to deal with real sin issues in an effective and a powerful way, we need the Word of God. In fact, look at Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. Hebrews 4, 12 says, For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. You see that kind of piercing idea. The word of God, it gets into your soul. People can apply the word of God to your life. And all of a sudden, it's just splitting things apart for you. And you're, it gets into those dark corners. And you get to see things about yourself that you never saw before. It's powerful and it's alive and it wants to do this work in my soul. 
So it means that what Jesus thinks about these things is what really matters. It's not some personal opinion or some little petty thing here and there. It's not like spinach in your teeth kind of accountability. When we submit ourselves to another person, try to find the people who have a grasp, a solid grasp on God's word, who can apply it with painful precision to your life. Which, of course, means that it is the responsibility of every single one of us in this spiritual family to become competent in the use of God's word, in the understanding of it, and in the application of it. It's the only way we can be these kinds of brothers and sisters to each other. That's the first and necessary ingredient for accountability. Then we have the high priest of God. I, you know, too often accountability becomes this kind of a thing where it's like, you know, we, we, we get along with like sin lists and we just kind of like join up in these relationships and then we're like, you know, go through and, you know, did you screw this up today? Did you screw this up this week? Did you mess this up here? We get all these things and we kind of like, it becomes this harsh sort of judgment-based environment where we're kind of ferreting out secret sin. And I think there's a big risk in this. Because we spend all of our time talking about sin and managing sin and ferreting out sin. We often, we often will deal with the symptoms of sin. We won't even get past it to get to the actual heart issues as to what's causing us to continue to wander away from the path. I remember a friend of mine uh, in college. We were just kind of coming back to faith. His name's Marky. And uh, Marky and I, we were kind of like, I, I'd spent some years away, we, you know, backslidden. We don't really talk like that anymore. Backslidden. And now I was kind of coming back to faith. And, um, and uh, Marky and I, we found, you know, we were kind of part of this Christian tribe. And, and we realized quickly that uh, he and I just, we cursed way more than everyone else did. Like we swore, we used words like no one had heard before and like we used them like punctuation. And uh, so we decided that, you know, as a spiritual discipline, we were going to stop swearing, which by the way is a remarkably difficult spiritual exercise. And uh, so we decided that the way we were going to help each other, we were going to, you know, be a source of encouragement is every time we would swear, the other would punch us. Like, just wallop us on the arm as hard as they could. So you'd swear, and it'd be like negative reinforcement every single time. And if you caught yourself swearing, and you saw them winding up, you would kind of, like, try to pull out of it. You could get, like, clocked in the face because you had, you know, just sworn. I got to tell you, this sucked. I mean, it, it really totally, and I'm not even sure it worked. Um, but, uh, but what I really loved was when I caught him. <laughs> that was fantastic. It was like spiritual punch buggy, right? You're all like, boom, you know, like a little bit of like shove of judgmentalism, you know, a little slap of hypocrisy. It was fantastic. It's amazing how much I enjoyed actually bearing down and punishing him for his sin. I think that's the nature of our hearts if we're not careful. It starts making the Christian community like a sin monitoring system. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we might receive a punch in the shoulder every time we screw up. No, so we might receive judgment and harshness and criticism and shame. Is that, is that what you're reading there? 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we might receive mercy. Mercy. And find grace to help us in our time of need. That means we have confidence in his mercy, the mercy of the high priest to uncover our shame and to bring his forgiveness in. And we can do that for each other. In fact, we must do that for each other because it's his mercy and it's his understanding and it's his forgiveness that allows genuine accountability to focus on all of the good that we can actually do in the world. And rather than sin management, we get to spur one another on toward goodness and beauty and creativity because it's rooted in the forgiveness that we have secured, that he has secured as our high priest. We need accountability. Ask for it. Seek it out. The Proverbs tell us, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. A show of hands. Who wants to be stupid today? (laughs) Nobody wants to be stupid. And the the, the Proverbs are telling us here, if you hate reproof, if you hate accountability, you're being an idiot because you need it. It is good for you. It is good for the people who depend upon you. It is good for your mission in the world, which means it is good for the kingdom of God. We need accountability, so we need to ask for it. We need to find those people, not keep people at bay just close enough so that we can be friendly but not actually get into the real stuff. We need to press past that and ask for accountability. Plead for it. Cultivate it. Offer it. Who's your go-to? Who will you go to this week to make yourself more accountable? Listen, you might just say, oh, that was interesting. I'll think about it. You want to take the next step? Find someone and go to them this week. Before we come back next Sunday, find that person and see if God will begin to do a deeper more impressive work in your soul if you find that person. And for some of you, it's actually going to be more than one person. It's probably going to be a multi-layered plan. Maybe you're going to have, you know, eight or ten or a dozen friends that you begin getting deeper in honesty with. And that's already an incredible gift. And then maybe you'll have two or three or four really close friends who you're brutally honest with, who will know you exactly as you are and will be able to apply God's word and his mercy to your life. So you've got to find some wise and some godly friends and you've got to plead with them for accountability and rebuke. Because this kind of mutual accountability, it will develop deep community when it's pursued in Christ. And this is our hope and our prayer for each and every one of us. I'm going to pray for that, actually, right now. I'm going to ask the band to come up and get us ready to go to the Lord's table. Uh, But as they do that, I'd like to just uh, offer up a prayer for each of us here. Let's pray. Father, what, um, what we need from you is the part that, of course, we can't bring to this. Lord, we need courage from your spirit. We need to trust. We need the confidence that is actually only going to be found at the cross, that you, Lord, desperately love us and you really do want what is best for us and that father together that we can help our hearts to wander in the right direction to wander back toward you 
to stop meandering into sin and unbelief, disobedience, but instead, Lord, to, to find their way home, to rest, to peace, to shalom. That's what we want. And you have given us each other toward that end. I pray that you would give us the courage to make ourselves accountable to each other in increasing ways, deepen the community we have here as a spiritual family. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen.